Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today's guest is David Johnston. David is a sea kayak instructor, guide, and one of the key architects for some of Paddle Canada's programs. And today we'll talk about the development of Paddle Canada programs, the state of instruction, Georgian Bay, and the beauty of Lake Superior, and have a few laughs along the way. Before we get to our chat with David, James and Simon at OnlineSeaKayaking.com continue to produce great content to help you evolve as a paddler and a coach. If you're not already a subscriber to OnlineSeaKayaking.com, here's your opportunity to get started. Just visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout, and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. And Level 6 continues to be a great supporter of Paddling the Blue, and we've got a special offer just for you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit from them, just visit their website at level6.com and also use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout for 10% your order off your order there as well. With that, enjoy today's episode with David Johnston. Hi, David. Welcome to Paddling the Blue. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It is a beautiful day here in northern Michigan. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. I'm looking out the window in Peterborough, Ontario, and the snow has finally started to melt, which is, uh, which is a nice change. Yeah, same here. So, you, uh, so, so why paddling for you? What, what got you started? I started paddling with, uh, we went to, you know, we had a cottage in the summer, and so we'd go there for the summer, and I did that with my, my dad. He was really interested in canoeing. Uh, back then when I was a little kid and then I went to summer camp and I was a summer camp kid in Ontario going to summer camps a really big deal so we would I'd go away for one or two weeks each summer and canoeing it was all about learning to canoe and that was a big thing up until I was probably 18 or 19 and then someone introduced me to kayaking and I made the jump and I was like oh yeah okay this is where I'm going <laughs> um, yeah uh, the big thing at was is I didn't always need a partner I could just go by myself or you know so if I was in if, when I was canoed I'd always have to convince you come on let's go canoeing and that was always a bit of a struggle sometimes uh, to find somebody and so I could just go muck around on the lake by myself and I really that independence was what uh, attracted me originally to it and then uh, you, you graduated from there to instructor and, and trips yeah I well, way back uh when I was much younger, I, I took uh, outdoor education in college, and part of the requirements to graduate at the time was I had to become an instructor in two sports. The idea was you'd become a winter instructor, so you'd become a snowboard instructor, and you'd become a, a canoe instructor or a whitewater kayaking instructor. And so, you know, you could market yourself, and you had kind of you could work for different businesses throughout the season. So I got into doing that, and I started as a, I thought, well, I'll do a canoe instructor, because I had uh, this was before I got into kayaking. And so, yeah, I was a canoe instructor for a while, and I did that for two or three years. And then I got into kayaking, and then I uh, I jumped over to becoming a canoe, or sorry, a kayak instructor. And I really enjoyed that. I found it a different type of a challenge that I actually, I enjoy teaching kayaking over canoeing, just because there was so many variables. You're teaching two people at once in a canoe compared to just one person in a kayak. And when I was young and just getting started, that was a little bit easier. And then I went from there. Now, what was the other thing you got certified in? Oh, uh, cross-country skiing. Did that for a number of years, and 
I, I taught lots of kids, lots of kids in school groups. I worked at an outdoor center. It's so all these kids would come stumbling off the bus and I'm like, let's go put skis on. <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you still do that? I probably wasn't very, uh, yeah, I, we moved out of, out of Toronto about three years ago and Toronto has terrible winters. And so we lived there for about 20 years. And so when we moved there, I sold all my skis. And so when we moved to Peterborough, which is about an hour east of Toronto, uh, the winters, you know, all of a sudden we got snow again. So that was the first fall. I was like, all right, I'm buying skis. I'm getting back into it. So yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So we, we moved up to uh, northern Michigan here in the last year. And, uh, okay. and we were looking forward to snow as well. It, it kind of did okay this year, but nothing great. Yeah, yeah, it was adequate. Uh, last year was much better skiing. But, you know, compared to Toronto, which gets, it's, it's Toronto's terrible for winter because it's too warm for winter activities, but it's too cold for summer activities. So I always kind of think of this as weird purgatory uh, where everybody just complains because you can't embrace it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so through kayaking, you've had a pretty extensive involvement with Paddle Canada. So tell us about your work there. Yeah. So Paddle Canada is the national organization that looks after recreational paddling in Canada. Easiest way to think about it for people who might know, there's British Canoeing, there's the American Canoe Association. Paddle Canada is very much kind of the same, in the same vein of those. So we develop syllabus and instructional programs. We deal with local governments and federal governments around safety, uh, boating safety. Um, they look after four big water sports. So sea kayaking, canoeing, um, stand-up paddleboard, and whitewater kayaking. And then there's a fifth stream that looks after uh, campcraft, like uh, learning to go camping type thing. So that's a little bit independent because it's uh, not specifically to a boat. There's a national uh, syllabus for all the different disciplines. There's levels and there's instructor streams. Um, and then there's instructor trainer streams for people who want to learn how to teach the different sports. And I got involved with Paddle Canada probably 1999, 2000, somewhere in that time frame. And I actually started working for them because they were in this really small town and they moved in. I moved into the area where they were and they needed, what did they, they needed like a secretary and I didn't know anything about them, who they were. And somebody was like, they do paddling. And so I applied <laughs> and I basically only got the job because I was the only guy who showed up and wore a tie. And <laughs> I was like, okay. So <laughs> I, I don't know if that speaks to my, you know, how good I was as a staff person or not. But. Well, they kept you around though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I worked for them for for four years and I was around right in a period where they were developing uh, the sea kayak stream. So they were moving out of canoeing. They had a whitewater kayaking program that had just gotten started and then sea kayaking. And so some of the a committee was had put together, had been writing it for a year or two before. And it was heavily influenced at the time after the British canoeing stream. And it was just modified for some of the needs for, for what Canada was looking for. And then, so I was brought in kind of at that early stages to help implement it and roll it across Canada. So it went from theoretical to, I would talk on the phone with instructors and go, I don't, they would be like, I don't understand how this would work, you know, throughout the day. So we spent a lot of time just figuring out systems and stuff like that. So, so yeah, so I did that for about four years. And then after that, I left, we moved to, uh, to Toronto. And so I still wanted to be involved with them. So I switched over to more volunteering and I had a real interest in developing syllabus and policy. So I was involved in their, they have a program development committee for sea kayaking 
and it's just in charge of it's super nerdy and they're just in charge of writing the syllabus so i got involved in that and i was on that committee for almost 15 years and uh yeah it was a lot of fun i'm gonna step back for a second so that first certification that you received if paddle canada didn't really have a sea kayak program where'd you get that first certification uh, it all kind of right happened. It all happened right at the same time. Okay. So they had just run. They had just rolled out the kayaking one, and before that, I had just been hacking around in a, in a in a kayak at the time. And so then this then I started working for them, and they had, they they needed some beta testers. And so I was like, well, I'm on staff, so you can, uh, yeah. So that was kind of in the very very early days when it was uh, was rolling out. And so yeah, I learned how to learned how to kayak. And I was of course, you know, before that, I thought I knew everything. And then all of a sudden I took this course and I was like, Oh, okay. Everything's different. (laughs) So now you were part of the team that actually wrote the national sea kayak program then. Yeah. So that there was people who originally wrote the program and then that was implemented. And then about kind of about five years after I got involved in working with the committee, the program needed a big overhaul. So uh, just needed to be updated and kind of things we had learned over the years. And so I was involved in rewriting the original program, making a whole, like we got to the stage where, you know, if you're involved in a project and you want to make like three or four changes, you might as well make another eight or nine because it's the best time to make changes. Sure. So I was involved in about a, a three year project of rewriting and overhauling the whole curriculum, which involved all the typical things of keeping people happy and soliciting ideas from from the public and that type of thing and so then we got an idea and how what problems are there and how do we solve these problems and then how do we roll out all the changes so that took about probably about three and a half or four years uh, at that time and so that version of the program is what i was involved in and that got rolled out probably about six or seven years ago now okay and then yeah. now you mentioned the camping program uh, a few minutes ago as well. So tell us a little bit about that side. That's, an, that's a, quite a different side. Yeah. And we developed a, the camping program. This is one that I wrote originally with another another friend of ours. Uh, we had a little committee. And it's it stemmed from this idea that camp craft or like camping skills is heavily embedded in the canoe program. And it's also heavily embedded in the sea kayak program. And stand up paddling is this growing small group of people who wanted to learn how to camp but on a stand-up paddleboard they're not doing huge distances but they're going out and they're using that as the vehicle to get to the campsite and so what we realized was that we have three different programs kind of teaching the same thing but it's their own kind of version on it and so there's just a lot of energy duplication you know so that type of thing so the idea that we had was why don't we build a general campcraft program that's independent of the vehicle or the different boats and because once you're at the campsite outside of a few minor tweaks whether you got there in a canoe or a sea kayak setting up a tent and cooking it's you know it doesn't matter and so that was our original idea was that we could build this campcraft that would be independent of the different sports but then people could as a host like you were you ran a paddling school you could offer a, a canoe program and a plug-in a camping program because there's a market for it. And so you could do an introduction to canoeing and an introduction to camping program, or if you've got a market for stand-up or uh, sea kayaking, uh, or even whitewater kayaking, it doesn't matter. So that was a big challenge for us at the time was like, how do we make this thing so that it can mix and match with all these other programs? Or if you just wanted to do camping, giddy up and go do it. 
yeah, so we, I was involved in that, writing that, figuring it out. Yeah, and so that rolled out probably about four years now in its a new version, and uh, it's becoming quite popular uh, because people are starting to see the market for it and offering it for their students. Do you find people coming to the program just for that program, like not even coming, not even as paddlers, just coming for the program itself? People are starting to realize that people as in, like the Paddle Canada works a lot with business owners in the sense of paddling schools. So those people are starting to realize that they have they can put on programs, whether it's just a, a Monday night class, learn to, you know, learn to camp like a clinic or they could offer multi-day trips where they teach people how to camp on a trip itself. So people are starting to see that and they've, you know, so they're putting it on and kind of t the first couple of years was kind of just testing the market a little bit. And so the last kind of two years has been a big uptick in people offering learn to camp programs, or if they've got time or interest, they can plug in an introduction class or an intermediate skills teaching class. Uh, because if you're out there, say doing a five day trip, you might as well, offer a certification at the same time teach people how to do a bunch of strokes so it's interesting because it's a very flexible program and it's unique because there's really there's no one like none of the other big uh, associations like the ACA or British canoeing they don't really like campcraft isn't a major focus for them but for Canada camp camping is a big deal for certain parts of Canada so there's lots of interest in it so I'm not really familiar with the uh, the Paddle Canada system. So tell us a little bit about the Paddle Canada system, how it's set up in terms of its levels and, and how that flows. Uh, do you want just like from the Seacock perspective? Or? Yeah, let's go from the Seacock perspective. Okay. So uh, we'll step back. So there's, there's within Seacock in itself, there's, so there's three streams. There's a skill stream. That's just you learning as a student how to muck around in a Seacock. There's an instructor stream. So if you want to become an instructor, to learn how to teach people. And then there's an instructor trainer stream. So if you wanna learn or get certified to run instructor courses. So there's there's three streams. And so within that, there's five levels um, within the skills stream. So there's five levels. First one is just a flat water level. And it's really, it's a super flexible program for the classic scenario. If you were in a bay, small bay on a lake or in a harbor, uh, flat water conditions, any type of boat, whether it's a sit on top, sea kayak, doesn't matter. As long as it's got two pointy things and the person sitting in the middle. And that's just kind of like a one day introduction. Then from there, it splits into like specific for sea kayaking and there's four levels. So one, two, three, four. And it just works, it's, it progresses its way up from beginner to advanced. And the big difference between the levels, so the first one's obviously is your this is where most people start in the stream is Paddle, uh, Paddle Canada, like sea kayak level one. That's where most people are going. And so that's the big introduction. So then the level two, it changes a little bit because it's a lot of your same strokes that you learned in level one, but now all of a sudden you've got a little bit of conditions. So about a, let's say a foot of waves or 12 inches or you know 12 inches. Mm -hmm. um, and so you got a foot of conditions. And so then right away you've gone from flat water to uh, some waves and so everything gets thrown out the window. So okay, so let's go back and let's relearn this stuff under some conditions and then level three It continues up into bigger conditions. We start to add things like leadership into that incident management There's overnight components and then level four is open-ended in the sense of you know, It's the highest level and the highest skill set. So there's a really strong leadership component in that uh, working with people dealing with all the different types of incidents uh, decision-making and 
all the stuff you deal with on the water. So that's a real kind of high level version of the Sikai Extreme. And then the instructor stream is has parallel levels for it. So there's a basic instructor level that teaches just that one day program. And then there's instructor levels one, two, three, and four that each teach the responsible to teaching the skill levels associated with it. Sounds pretty similar to the ACA scheme. Uh, so tell me about the yeah. differences between the ACA and the Paddle Canada. It's much closer to the to British canoeing in its than it is to ACA. Okay. Like fundamentally, really, you're teaching a sweep stroke. You know, so uh, at one level, they're all very similar. It's our focus is got a, a little bit right from the start. It was very much designed to be written as a. Once you move out of like the basic introduction level, it's designed to be, sea kayaking is about going out and doing things rather than just playing in the harbor. And so what are all the skills that one would need to be comfortable going out and doing stuff? So whether you're going for a day trip or going for an overnight two, three, four day expedition, what does one need for that? And so there's a strong focus on the skills, like the basic strokes and getting back in your boat and stuff like that. But there's at the intermediate level which is kind of our level two right away we start to get into thing like weather there's tides and currents we get into uh, some camp craft or emergency overnights so it goes i think there's a little bit of a stronger focus on kind of those soft skills than the aca which tends to focus on the strokes and the mechanics and then you take other levels to plug in those soft skills does that make sense? Yeah. So as you mentioned, you yeah. know, a little more similar to the BC scheme, which is kind of looking at it with yeah. the end in mind. What are you trying to accomplish? And then how do we package all those skills together to be able to get you there? Exactly. And and Canada is unique from those three in that we have, it's huge, you know, so physically people are really far apart from each other. Uh, well, it's not so much that we have to yell a lot, but um, there's needs of like we have coastal environments, we have the Great Lakes, which is a different environment. And then we have people who are just using it on, you know, the back pond. And so to develop a program that, you know, what skills do you need on the Great Lakes versus the oceans versus or the coast versus uh, just someone at the cottage, you know, they're all in the same boat, but they have different needs. So it's kind of, it's tricky to write a program that encompasses all those types of different needs across Canada. Now, your yeah. personal passion has been helping to grow new instructors. So how did you transition to that role? I just really enjoy teaching. Like I like I enjoy teaching. I Like from a skill set these days, I mainly do kind of intermediate and advanced. And I've started to move to more just kind of doing advanced stuff because I really like the challenge of working with uh, other intermediate and advanced instructors. Um, but I do really enjoy teaching people how to teach and so that's something that I don't know where that kind of came out of but I, I for me teaching to keep me interested in any activity there has to be you know there has to be a challenge or a motivation to kind of keep doing it and so I found that teaching new instructors all of a sudden I was like whoa this is really fun because I really enjoy working with brand new instructors who are terrified and all of a sudden you know you're 18 years old and now you're been hired this summer to teach 45 year old adults. And, you know, they're, you know, you're terrified because you're 18 and you've never talked to an adult before except for your parents. So it's a lot of like, how do you teach the skill, but also how do I get the confidence in you to be able to just bark the orders so that 45 year old pays attention. Um, and so that's an, always an interesting challenge 
that uh, that I really enjoy. And then, you know, I have kind of opinions about, I, I've been through a lot of, like I've been a student on many courses and I've had a lot of terrible instructors. Mm -hmm. And so I think, okay, well, you know, and so like I try to like, okay, my job is to try to have less terrible instructors out there. And so that's, you know, uh, I've seen every disaster that's out there and I've been that guy many times uh, making those disasters. And so, uh, yeah, so that it's a motivating factor. If we can get better instructors out of there, then I'm happy to help work on it. Yeah, we've all had that uh, that yeah. professor in college that was just absolutely brilliant, knew everything about their subject, but had no idea how to relate that to another human being. Well, yeah, and it's um, a big thing for me is I, you know, all your students, they're terrified. And, and like a brand new student coming into a kayaking course, they're terrified mm -hmm. that they're going to die because they're going to tip over and they're going to drown. And so it kind of working through and how to work with people who are just naturally scared, you don't need to make them more scared. Right. Um, and so, you know, so but kind of keeping things really light, especially for beginners, uh, light, because you're just out having a great time. So they're going to be fine. You don't need to make it super seriously. So I, a story that I often tell on instructor courses is my very first skills course, we were, uh, we were standing on the edge of this little river, just calm water going past. And I was super excited. So the way that it was, it was really cold. And so we were just doing some stuff out on the water in the morning and we're staying dry. And then after lunch, he brings us all down. He's like, all right, we're going to start working. We're going to do wet exit. I'm going to show you how to get out of your boat. And then we're going to do some rescues or reentry. And I'll show you how to get back in. And so we're standing on the beach right after lunch. And he's like, you're really going to need to pay attention because if you don't, you know, you could die. And he used the D word. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, what? I could die? Like, I was not prepared to die that afternoon. Yeah. And I remember it was like, it, yeah. And I look back and I think that was, yeah. My reaction was probably over the top, but already I was scared. And, you know, so anyways, that really struck home for me. And then when it was all done, I was like, really? We were just falling out of boats and we're just getting back in. I mean, at no point did he need to give a big speech. Um, so anyway, so... I think about that and that's a big motivator for me when I'm working with new instructors. Like, you know, as I said, they're already scared. You don't need to make it worse than it is. Right. And we're just out having a good time, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're trying to get people to have fun and not to have them worry about dying. Well, I didn't even have a will. So I was <laughs> not prepared to die that moment. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I remember that. But, um, so yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the challenge of working with people and then how to instill with them empathy in working with a lot of different types of people, you know, so whether it's a young new student or a middle-aged someone who's uh, adult, who's now going to have to work with young people or older people or kayak instructors are generally kind of fit and flexible. And so being able to empathize with your students who are not flexible or not fit and how to change your lessons to help them overcome those pieces. That's the part that I really enjoy. And that, that all kind of comes under the empathy side of things. And yeah, having a bit of conversations around that type of thing. Not everybody's thin and flexible like you are. So you got to think about that. So where do you see paddler education heading? It's interesting because it's changed quite a bit over the last 20, 23, 24 years that I've seen. I remember when I first got into canoeing and in the early days of kayaking, it was very dogmatic. Like the, the forward stroke, it had to be placed in the water at a certain point 
and it had to within like two inches of each other. Like if you were reaching too far, that was wrong. And if you were too less, that was wrong. Or if you're in a canoe and you're pulling up to a dock, I remember in a lesson they would come out and they would measure that angle of your boat coming up to the dock. And if it was like five degrees off, you wouldn't pass the course. <laughs> and, you know, fundamentally, it's like, I'm like, yeah. what's the point? Right. You know, did the boat so, make it to the dock? Was it safe? Was it efficient? Was it effective? Was it fun? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But man, I remember the guys like tell, pulling me aside at the end of a day. And he's like, you really need to clean this up because the angle's all wrong. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, so anyways, I, I think on one level, I'm really glad that that kind of hyper dogmatic approach has really kind of scaled down to, okay, we're out here. Let's just have fun. How do we make this safe? How do we be good on our bodies so that we're not going to wear ourselves out? And there's good technique and all that type of stuff is part of it, but it's less super rigid uh, than it is. I think the other big change, so I'd like to see more of that, not more dog, dog, no, no, less dogmatic, but totally agree. Keep going in that direction. Yeah. Uh, I think the other big one is there's a large movement of people who are looking for just kind of lessons, like a one-off. I've got two days, so I'm going to take this two-day course and this is going to be fine. And then there's a growing movement of businesses offer more coaching and long-term student development. Not everybody has the ability to do that or the interest to offer it or to get involved in it as a student or an instructor. Um, but there's a growing there's certainly growing demand or interest in custom instruction compared to there was five or 10 years ago. So that's an interesting shift, which, uh, which I'm fully on board with. So well, what, what would you say to those who, who might say an education or certification culture is ruining the adventure in paddle sports? <laughs> uh, I'd say it's, uh, I kind of sit in the middle. All right. Because I think, I think there's, it's a valid argument in some ways, and I think it's a limiting argument in other ways. So yeah, I think there's some people who use certification to be to help boost their egos and to limit the friends that they paddle with. So they would be like, well, you don't have X level, so you can't paddle with us. All right. Um, so there's kind of some of that snootery. There's instructors who like to chase a certification and if that will help them with their securities or insecurities, then that's fine. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's lots of people who will chase a certification and never really use it. And, you know, more, that's fine. But I think, I think what it's done is it's sta like standardization of instructor, instructorship. It's standardized lessons and it's standardized, it's the easiest way to think about it. Like, you know, so there's, we've got a benchmark. So what is a level one or canoeing level a or you know what it, like what is that right what right away we've now got kind of a common language that people can speak to and so i find that's really helpful and so if i'm gauging a student or gauging somebody who's coming out do i think they have the skill set for those conditions that i'm going to take them out in or we're just going to go out as friends you know now we've got a kind of common language or common experience does that make sense oh absolutely yeah i i, I think on one sense it's, it's been good for the industry because it's helped people to be more safe, especially people looking in at the industry, uh, politicians looking in or the Coast Guard looking in or safety organizations looking in at, at, at an outdoor industry. That fundamentally makes people more safe because there's policies and an instructor system and systems in place to help manage the sport ourselves. And so from that perspective, yeah, it's, it, I'm all for it. 
something you'd mentioned back there uh, just a minute ago was that you can use the certification as kind of a, a, a benchmark. You know, you know if the person mm-hmm. is a, has level two skills or was assessed at level two, then you should be able to make an assumption that they can do certain things. But we also know yeah. that that either certification or that assessment is only as valid as the person certifying. And oh, so yeah. How, yeah. Does, how does Paddle Canada create consistency among its instructors or assessors to make sure that when they assess somebody at level two, that that's consistent across the board? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, eh? Yeah, it, it's it's tough. I mean, there's, uh, I can speak, the best I can speak from is from the Sikai community, because I know that best. Canoeing is probably the next one after that that I know. But from the Sikai community, it's, you know, we, the organization does a couple things. So there's the manual, and it tries to, what, it, the manual, when we wrote the syllabus, it's focused on student outcomes. So at the end of the day, the student should be able to demonstrate this skill, demonstrate this skill, demonstrate this skill. And it's got benchmarks for what that skill should look like. Other programs that are out there could be focused on as an instructor, you teach this skill this way, or you introduce this activity this way. There's, we, we tend to not teach people how to teach the activity or like the manual doesn't say you must teach it this way. It, it's all a student outcome. Mm-hmm. So you, how you teach it, it's kind of up to you. So there's a lot of flexibility in the program, but fundamentally at the end of the day, if the student can do X, Y, Z as part of a forward stroke at that level, how they got there doesn't really matter. So that's a pro, uh, it's definitely a pro and a con. The pro gives a ton of flexibility and a bunch of flexibility also for the instructor to emphasize the things that are important to them based on their paddling experience and what they think their students need. But how that leaves for standardization, that's tricky. So anyways, that's that's a bit of a sidestep. So the organization gets instructors, the instructor trainers together because they're the leaders in the in the disciplines because they're the ones who are kind of setting the, uh, they're training the instructors and then the instructors are training students. So we work a lot with the instructor trainers to help sit and think, okay, what does a forward stroke at level one look like and what does a forward stroke at level two look like in level three and we try to expand the manual to help get the message out but then discussing it at those levels sitting around at different events that helps out quite a bit because then when they teach instructor courses they can instill that kind of standardization and i i agree that the the how you got there so the method that you use to to get the end result isn't necessarily as as important as actually getting the end result as long as the method that you use was safe, efficient, effective. Yeah, your um, rescues or reentry, getting people back in is a classic example of that. You know, fundamentally, at the end of the day, you want the boat and the gear recovered, the butt back in the boat, the water out of the boat in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, there's ten thousand different ways that you can get the person back in the boat, and boat people love arguing about which one is the better one or the other one, but. You know, the manual itself is just like, okay, the student should be able to get back in, gears collected, everything's reorganized, water's out, you know. And so that flexibility is great uh, because it's it keeps, it doesn't allow people to get super dogmatic uh, from, from that piece. And it gives me the flexibility to give my, what I think are the important things because I have experience in different things. And also I'm in an environment where, the, say the water's super cold, like you're in on the coast, you need to get in super fast. Well, if somebody's in the like 
a, a cottage where there's warm water, it's not quite as critical to race in. So anyways, we had to build that flexibility and that's the best way to, to do that. So let's shift away from the instruction piece just a, uh, for a little bit here. So your home waters are Lake Huron's Georgian Bay. Yeah, All it's right. the backyard for me. Tell us about Georgian Bay. Well, first off, don't come because uh, it's <laughs> awesome and we don't want people there. Uh, yeah, so Georgia Bay is, it's a huge bay, but it's its part of Lake Huron, but it's big enough that it's got its own segment. And so people often forget that it's part of Lake Huron, but it actually is. It's several hundred kilometers long. There's millions of places to paddle. Georgia Bay is known as the 50,000 Islands. 50,000 Islands, yes, because there's at least 50,000 Islands to paddle around everything from super small little tiny one tree one rock to big giant uh massive massive islands yeah. uh, that would take a week to paddle around so it's a pretty incredible spot it's super unique the thing that makes it really attractive is that it's solid rock and it's part of the canadian shield and so when the ten thousand years ago when the at the end of the ice age when the glaciers were retreating, they just grounded right down. And so there's hardly any topsoil and the, uh, the granite rock is as smooth as, you know, poured cement. And so it makes it some really interesting spots for that. So it's great for paddling because uh, there's lots of islands to go around and there's lots of shelter from wind for people who are interested in that. It's great for swimming because we don't get a lot of weeds because it's all rock. And then camping itself is great because you're not sitting in dirt like you would be if you were camping, you know, somewhere where there's like muddy conditions. So I, mean, I think uh, our, our listeners from overseas, you know, when they hear lake, they think, oh, lake, that's cute. Uh, but this is a yeah. this is a pretty good sized body of water. It is. I um, mean, it's, it's certainly one of the great lakes. And so the stretch, like when we talk about Georgian Bay, like the distance is, I'm just measuring it here. So it's. 180 from north to south like one coastline it's 180 just under 200 kilometers or what's that 120 miles mm, right about so that yep there's a significant yeah there's a significant amount of coastline and it's a touch more sheltered than some of the other other lakes like lake superior because just the way that the wind blows it doesn't blow quite as long on the water so and we have some shoals that are offshore so what makes it great is we can get lots of wind and we can get surf in the fall and that that time of year but generally you know we don't get huge surf like you would certainly on the coast or uh on superior what isn't so for people who are just kind of getting started both say kayaking or getting into camping it's an ideal location for getting out there and kind of a wilderness experience so what are some of your favorite spots in georgian bay oh well what i would end up doing for people who are just getting started there's there's kind of three good places. Well, there's two really good places. So at the north end of it is Killarney Provincial Park. That's at the very top of it. And it's spectacular. It's a provincial park. So that would be similar to a state park for people in the States. And it's primarily known for canoeing and hiking. It runs through an old mountain range. And so it's, it's, it's hilly for people who are hiking. Um, and it's wonderful for canoeing because there's lots of really small little lakes. But... There's a couple good access points that'll get you can get out onto the bay, uh, as we would call it, and you can go east-west along that coastline and basically just go as far as you want until you run out of days and you got to head back towards the car. The nice thing with it is that there's not a lot of people because not a lot of people know that that's a good 
kayaking spot because everyone thinks about it as canoeing or hiking. And so you don't see a lot of people out on the coast. And a lot of canoeists don't like it because why would you when you could go inland where there's less wind and you can just work through some small lakes. So yeah, so Killarney is a fantastic area. It's really good. It's great for someone who's just getting started because you have that security blanket of being still in a provincial park. And so if you needed to get help, you know, all that, you can access that type of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty gorgeous. The other area that I would send you to if somebody was getting started, so there's a, a small town. So the eastern side of, uh, is the main, eastern shoreline is the main north-south section. And right in the middle is a small town called Perry Sound. And that is probably the best jumping off point for most people who are wanting to go to uh, do something out on, out on the bay. Just because the town's there and you can rent boats and it's close for people coming up from Toronto, uh, for example. So there's quite a bit of different paddling there, north or south of that. You could drive an hour in either, either direction and you could do, you could find enough for 10 days easily, no problem. All right. Uh, for campers, Yeah. Now that uh, the, the bay itself is it's not very far from Toronto, and uh, yeah. not very far from Detroit, so you've got you know major metropolitan areas within a few hours. So does it still feel remote? Mm. Uh, yeah, it does because most of the development is at the southern half of it, as far as uh, cottages or towns. And so once you get north of Perry Sound, say like an hour south of Perry Sound, at that point most of the development has stopped. There's still cottages scattered here and there, but it's a much more rugged uh, coastline. It's not like Superior, but it's 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 wonderful from that perspective. So you can get out. There's cottages for people who are you know want to go see that. But as you go north, it gets less and less. There's a significant amount of crown land. So for us, that would be it's just land that the king owns that any Canadian can camp on, and there's no organization as far as campsites. Uh, anybody can stay on them. Um, and so then people from the States, you can come and camp on Crown Land. You just need to buy a backcountry permit, which is, I don't know, 10 bucks a night. It's really small. Or you could stay in, in any of the provincial parks that are along the along that coastline as well, which has much more organized and you can book your campsites and that type of thing. So, yeah, it, it's a Georgian Bay is kind of this kind of, kind of hidden gem that people know about. But Ontario is such a canoe country area that most a lot of people don't go out there because... They either don't think of a canoe in that environment or they go canoeing inland. So So how's the Tobermory Peninsula different from the rest of Georgian Bay? Well, Tobermory is the west side and it's a huge giant sticky out point going north-south. Geologically, it changes. So it's all limestone and because, so that was an ancient seabed and it's all compressed limestone. So you get a lot of caves, you get a lot of cliffs. It's really gorgeous. It's not my favorite spot because it's it's spectacular. Like it looks great in photographs. It's really good for hiking. Uh, people, caving is a big thing up there. And because of the, there's a really skinny section between Manitoulin Island, which is just north of that and the end of Tobermory, which is, uh, there's a lot of shipwrecks that are in that area. So diving People who are interested in diving for ships or going on tour boats, looking at sunken wrecks, there's it's one of the best in Canada for that for all of that type of thing. Kayaking is not great because there's a lot of cliffs, and so it's it's inaccessible for so many people that it's just it's they don't tend to promote it for it's a great kayaking spot because your average person would get in over their heads really fast uh, from that perspective. But 
it's spectacular uh, area to go. It's just tricky, yeah. So I would say if somebody had intermediate paddling skills, then that's a great place to go. Um, there's just not a lot of camping place because there's a lot of development, but boy, there's a lot of great shipwrecks in that area. Now that's part of the yeah. Niagara Escarpment, and that runs up into so that, another one of your playgrounds, Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lake Superior is, it's really, you know, it's far away from me. It's its a good solid 12-hour drive, but I've spent probably more time on Lake Superior than I have in Georgia Bay. Um, I've been going there for 20 some years now at least uh either guiding a trip or teaching courses up there all right so tell us about some of your favorites there oh well let's get started <laughs> um <laughs> it's interesting because you know when you think back at like pivotal moments that you had as either a teenager or as a young adult and you look back at places that are you know life-changing moments and for me so many of those were on lake superior whether i was a student learning a kayak more intermediate or advanced courses thinking i was going to die at any moment because these waves are so big from those to getting out doing a big trip for the first time or taking my family up there so that for me lake superior is kind of that spot where i've done so many really cool things every time i paddle along and i look at different rocks or cliffs and i think oh i remember the adventure i had there or you know worked with students at this place yeah so it's it's a kind of near and dear to my heart but you're talking about kind of some specific places. I know the Canadian shoreline much better than the American shoreline. Right. Um, I've done a bunch of paddling in the Pitchard Rocks area on the American side. Uh, that's uh, Munising going east or Marquette going east. I've done a lot of that coastline. Mm -hmm. But I like the Canadian side a little bit better just because it's more rugged compared to the sandstone that you get on the south side. Uh, the north side's the Canadian Shield in the sense that it's still a lot of granite and rock and a lot more wilderness and it's not developed at all in many places there's kind of two big places the two that i would send someone to if they were saying okay i want to go right now if somebody has done hasn't done a lot of sea kayaking but wants to get in on the coast so you're comfortable in a foot and a half or two foot waves so intermediate paddlers so if you're comfortable in that then i would send you to on the eastern shore lake superior provincial park and it covers probably half of the eastern shore going north-south. It's pretty spectacular, but it's also easy because you have that, again, because it's a park, you have that security blanket of help that's kind of nearby. It's still really remote. It's Lake Superior. It's gorgeous. Some of the best coastline is in that stretch, and which is the reason why it's a protected park. What is it's famous for, so you could either go out and do a trip for three, four, five, six days, no problem, or you could car camp and do a bunch of uh, the car camps kind of at the south end of the park and you could do a bunch of day trips so you just pack up the cars drive an hour north and paddle all day and so you can there's a lot of various coastlines along there and that's what a lot of people do is they just jump in at different points and paddle the sections that they want yeah lake superior provincial park that's where i would send someone just getting started and if they were interested in a longer trip then the pakasaw coastline is the is the big stretch uh, to do. So if somebody's looking at a map on the Google, uh, Marathon, Ontario is a small town. And just south of that, there's a huge coast of, it's in the north central section. It's on, you just basically look at the stretch that has no roads. Mm -hmm. And that whole stretch going south, and then it curves around and goes east along the shore, and you end up in. Uh, uh, the small town of Mitch McCotton or Wawa there is the bigger town that's right next door. Um, yeah, and that's a fantastic 10-day trip 
200 kilometers or whatever math works out to miles um, and you will not pass a single road 10 minutes after you've started your trip you won't pass a single road in again until like an hour before you get to your car so there's it's completely undeveloped the whole thing beautiful territory so yeah yeah have so, you been to that area at all i've not actually one of my I, it's that's been on my bucket list i'm so i'm more more familiar with the u.s side uh the yeah. up michigan coast uh, than the canadian coast i'm familiar with all the areas by drooling over maps and and all that and uh, there's lots of places that i want to go there and actually one of my first interviews was uh with henry davies and we were talking oh, yeah. about the yeah. uh, the marathon to uh to wawa route yeah it's uh it's that's a pretty incredible it's a pretty incredible piece of coast because there's a good chance that you will uh, say after the second day, you probably won't see anybody for like the next six days. And then you might see somebody closer to town at the other end of your trip. Yeah. Like for example, my friend Ray, who I guide trips with, we were doing a trip out there last summer and we pulled into, pulled into a beach with, with our little group of people. And we had to camp at this beach because there was nothing for the next two or three miles. And, we just had to stay and there was a, a, a couple staying on the beach and normally you know you would jump to the next one down to kind of give people room but there just wasn't we had to stay there so we pulled in and we're all nervous because some people you know their noses get out of joint pretty quick and they were so we checked to see whether we could stay and they were like oh yeah no problem and so we found out that they had been doing this coastline and they were on day nine or ten of their trip and they had one more day left and so they hadn't seen anybody for about seven days and so he was thrilled that we were there because he could just talk to new people and <laughs> she was thrilled that we were there so he could talk to new people <laughs> and so he's down you know like uh we were kind of laughing because he was just like a little uh, uh golden retriever like nose right in what's <laughs> happening how what have you got for gear and he's all excited and his and his wife's like all right i'm walking to the other end of the beach i'll see you guys later <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so you can do these big stretch and they hadn't seen anybody they hadn't seen a soul for six days at that point that's spectacular so, yeah yeah that, it's that's pretty the way to do a spot. trip so uh, yeah and and it, what comes with that is the responsibility of being able to be totally self-sufficient you're about 80 miles from the nearest road at that point at the most extreme point of it and so you, you, self-sufficiency is the key thing for that. But it's a real bucket list, incredible trip. Yeah. This is not one for so, your beginner paddler. No. no we, but though you could do a guided trip. That would, so if you went with a company, companies will offer uh, 9, 10, 11-day guided trips. That's a great way to do it if you're looking for somebody to do it. Otherwise, if you're doing it yourself, yeah, you'd want to have your skills down pat. So now speaking of yeah. trips, um, you guide trips. Yeah, I do. Yeah, mainly Superior is where... Um, I, I've done them. I've done lots of I've guided trips in Georgian Bay area. I have a, you know, I have a family and a regular job working for the government. So all my teaching and guiding is all on vacation time. Um, so I kind of do one big trip a year and the rest I'll teach uh, throughout different places in Ontario. Mainly I'll teach in Georgian Bay uh, area. But yeah, so that all kind of came about with, so my friend Ray, we've been friends for years and we started doing trips together and then it, you know, and we both teach and we were like, man, we should start offering trips because what we wanted to do as far as a little bit more push trips, going after clients who were interested in less catering, more independence, but needed some handholding to get us there. And we thought there's kind of a market for people like that. So yeah, so we started offering trips about 
five or six years ago. And we would just pick it. And we we're like, okay, we're doing this 180 kilometer stretch or 200 kilometers. So what's that? 100, 120 miles or so. And uh, looking for intermediate paddlers. And so, yeah, so we, we just offered them. So we've done most, probably three quarters of the Canadian coastline over the years in different various trips, kind of mainly just centers around where do we want to go this year and how do we convince people to come with us? So, <laughs> so if somebody wanted to work with you and uh, or you and Ray on, on a trip, how would they find you? Easiest way to find me is, I mean, there's a lot of David Johnstons on Facebook. There's, you know, it's not a very unique name. Um, Seakayakinstructor.com. All right. And it's just a site that just has my contact information. And that's probably the easiest way for someone to get a hold of me. I do a lot of custom work. I work for most of the, at some point, most of the different paddling schools in Ontario and uh, in the Midwest. I've worked for a bunch of different ones over the years. So I don't own my own business, but I kind of just fly under the radar and I teach for all these other paddling schools, um, which is which is great. So yeah, it gets me uh, in a lot of different environments. Yeah. Sure. All right, couple other questions for you. What's one place yeah. in the world that if you could paddle that you'd go, that you've not been been to uh, yet? Oh, for sure, I'd go to I'd go to uh, Norway, yeah, or Sweden, yeah. All right. Why that? Be, I would, oh, those fjords, <laughs> yeah. those big hills. Oh man, it looks. Uh, I've, you know, like you've spent a lot of times on Google Maps, just kind of zooming in and looking at places. Um, Plus, you know, anywhere where you can't pronounce any city name, it's got to be a cool place to go. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Iceland would be an interesting spot, but for me, paddling would be cool, but I really just would lo- I'd love to go visit Iceland. That's my number one country just to visit. I haven't thought of it so much from kayaking because there's other places, but, uh, you know, driving around Iceland would be incredible. What's the, uh, what's the favorite place that you're, or the, the most beautiful place you've ever paddled? Uh, probably a BC coast with uh, British Columbia okay. out west. I, I've. I've taught a bunch of courses out there. I mean, those those mountains in the Rocky Mountain Range, that's spectacular, you know. There's lots of beautiful places, but British Columbia is pretty spectacular. I've been out there. Uh, Lake Superior, it's still incredible to me, just the emotional connection, but there's so many cool things in that area. I'm really happy to almost go anywhere, you know. I don't... I, I paddled for 20 years in Toronto, in the harbour of Toronto, and it's got a little chain of islands a mile offshore in Toronto Harbor and I've paddled around that little island. It's, you know, two hour paddle. I've done that 10,000 times. And every time I go, I think, all right, I'm having a good day. Yeah. You know, so, uh, I don't get too snotty about different places to go, but I do like, like spirit adventures where you make it. And, you know, in terms of the great lakes, we are, we're fortunate to live in the great lakes area. We could paddle for, you know, every weekend for, yeah. for years and years and years and never, never go to the same place twice and, and have an amazing time every time. It was, uh, it was funny. I was teaching an advanced kayak course. This is a level four course. It was in May, so early season. And that advanced level, this was in uh, Tofino, British Columbia, so Vancouver Island. And that course is in the early beginning of the season, and it's an advanced level and tends to attract kind of people working in the industry. So other guides or other instructors looking to work on their skills. And so I was teaching this little class and we were talking about, and they were all poo-pooing the Great Lakes. They were like, oh, Great Lakes, why would anybody want to go there? And I'm like, well, let me tell you about it. And they had, their whole career was basically on the ocean. And I'm like, yeah, the ocean is amazing because you got tides and you got cool wildlife and you know, it's, it's pretty spectacular. But I said, and it, the great thing about the Great Lakes, one thing is that when I'm camping, the water is right there and 
I can drink it. I just need to get a bucket and I can stick it in there and I can filter it and I can drink it right there. I don't have to worry about water. And it blew their minds that you could just get water right like that fresh water was like such a foreign concept to them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, come to the Great Lakes. You got lots of fresh water. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. And the water so, stays there. Um, so it's not like it's not you're going to have a long carry or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to think about tides or, you know, how far away is the water going to be when I actually get up and start paddling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was really funny. It was a couple of them and they had been guiding for a number of years, but had. Yeah, I've rarely had blown people's minds on something so simple as that. <laughs> Tell us about your progress yeah. towards your career goals of becoming either a professional wrestler, referee, or a certified water slide tester. Oh, boy, that would be, both of those would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we were kids, my dad loved wrestling. And so that was something that we, and I, my dad probably was just into it because we were into it. Uh, you know, this was young kid in the mid 80s and uh yeah i remember we'd watch it saturday mornings and then we would wrestle each other and then until one of the kids started crying and then uh that was the end of it <laughs> so <laughs> and a water slide tester boy i think that would be a bit of a niche market so it's tough to break into that so i, I used to manage a water park or oversee a, a water park and uh no, and, did. At, did you oh yeah at the, at the beginning of the season we had to go test the slides part of the job that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> oh i'm so jealous oh that would have been uh terrifying and fun at the same time <laughs> so i've got one final question for you david and that is who yeah. else would you like to hear as a future guest on paddling the blue oh there is lots of people uh i'd say probably somebody you should you should definitely consider would be a canadian you know because you need more canadians on this show for oh, sure certainly um you, yeah, you should talk to Michael Party. He's in Victoria, BC, in British Columbia. And uh, he's an incredible instructor. And he's one of the kind of patriarchs of instruction in Canada. And kind of he spends a lot of the time really thinking about what are some ways that we can make instruction better? And how do I apply basic standards of teaching and educating adults? And how do we apply that to sea kayaking? And so he was around, right? He wrote the original program, was very influential in that. He was one of my original mentors in helping you know, both give opportunities to kind of work with him and work under him and things like that. Yeah, really interesting guy. Excellent. Well, I will connect with you offline yeah. and uh, we'll get in touch with Michael Party and, and get him on the show. Yeah, he would like it. He's uh, he's quite a thinker. Excellent. So. Well, well, David, it's been fantastic talking to you, learning about uh, Paddle Canada and your connection to Paddle Canada, uh, the differences and similarities between ACA, Paddle Canada, British canoeing, and kind of where paddling instruction is going. And then also love loved to hear about uh, Georgian Bay and, and Lake Superior and all the fun things there. So it's been great talking to you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Man, I'm super excited this came together. So Thank am I. You. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. It was a pleasure talking to David and learning more about the Paddle Canada system. 
I'm very familiar with the ACA's structure, and it was good to hear some of the differences and similarities between the two. And I think his thoughts on changes in instruction are spot on, and it's nice to see the practice advanced. And if you've never been to either Lake Huron's Georgian Bay or Lake Superior, start planning now and go. You won't be disappointed. I just got back from my own trip to the North Channel area of Georgian Bay, and I'm already thinking about the next one. Visit the show notes for this episode, number 94, for David's contact information. And thanks again to our partners, Level 6 and OnlineSeaKayaking.com for extending special offers just for you. If you'd like to pick up some great Level 6 dryware or other kit, just visit their website at level6.com. Use the coupon code PTBPODCAST at checkout for 10% off your order. And visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com and take advantage of the great video programming from James and Simon and other talented guests, including previous guests of Paddling the Blue. Just enter the code PTBPODCAST to check out and get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. Our next guest is Rupert Kirkwood, and we'll talk whales, wildlife, photography, and other nerdism. So until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.